0: is going to be joining us live stream as well let's let her know i'm going to pray over the word of the lord and appreciate as little moving around as possible if you guys everybody's got notes right you guys could just follow along and this is going to be a different sermon than usual but it's something that god really put on my heart if we could also shut that door back there that'd be great So, Father, we just pray over this word tonight. We bless you. We ask you, Lord, that as the heavens are open, that your glory is here in an awesome way. We ask you to bless the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray that even now the precious Holy Spirit would move upon every one of us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus. Lord, I pray that by the Holy Spirit anoint our eyes and ears. Jesus said many times, you have ears, but you don't hear. And Lord, I pray that would not be about us tonight. Lord, help us to have eyes and ears that are anointed, that we're able to see and hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking. Lord, I pray that by the Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us, help us to be good soil for the work of the Lord tonight, for the Word. Let the Word of God go out as living seeds of truth that's sown in a good soil. Water by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, I pray as this goes out that the Holy Spirit, the winds of the Spirit will carry this everywhere it needs to go and it will accomplish what it needs to do. And Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we agree together that we bind in the name of Jesus anything that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to be and accomplishing what it's supposed to accomplish. We bind it now in the name of Jesus. We command it to back off and go right now. And, Lord, we just pray that you would um, let everything be accomplished. We stand on the promise. Your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So, Lord, let this go forth and be like a light shining in dark places, dispelling the darkness, dispelling lies of the enemy, and bring truth and revelation knowledge. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. All right, a few things tonight as I get into this. (coughs) I felt... That one of the attacks of the enemy, I I felt just to be aware of this tactic. But if the enemy can, he will try to get people to lose that expectation. And let me explain what I mean. When people come here, usually there is an expectation for God to move. And because of that faith and expectation, a lot of things happen. But in different areas of somebody's life, Sometimes there's a stubborn area where it's a battleground. Whether it be a health issue, that's usually where it is. Or it could be something else. But where that area is, you get prayer. And maybe there is a breakthrough, but it seems like you're. See, sometimes a, a healing is not just a physical healing. It's a spiritual warfare issue, and it's, it's a wrestling that you're dealing with, okay? It's not always just a healing. Jesus many times had to drive out a, a spirit of infirmity or some kind of a spirit that was hindering somebody's health. And so sometimes there'll be like a, a healing. We pray for people, all the pain leaves and all that, and then after a few days, it tries to come back with a vengeance, <laughs> You're dealing with a spiritual battle. And what the enemy wants to do if you're not careful, and I don't want to just stick on health. I mean, it could be any number of things. But if you're not careful, you can get to where you almost expect something not to happen. And when you get there, you're in unbelief. And it's about 99% chance it won't. So you're going to have to watch out for that tactic because when the enemy is resisting an area of your life, the enemy in that area will try to make it to where you you lose that faith, that expectation for something to happen. And faith, the element of faith is, is that when you pray, you expect that something is happening. You may not see it in the natural right then, but you expect it and you believe it and there's an expectation. So don't lose that. It's very easy for somebody to lose that, and I've seen that many times. And once they get out of that expectation, it's sometimes it's really hard to get a breakthrough until you can get that back. All right, the other thing, and this goes along with the sermon, <clears throat> but it's very important that we sever all ties from our past. Many times people have a lot of different ties and connections and things that go back to their past that they've never dealt with. And so tonight as we do something very different, it's a very unique service, we're going to have a time here where we've done two weeks of fasting. And here in a moment, we're going to take communion together in a special way. And God's going to really deeply purge us. And after I preach tonight, the, the hearing of the word Is going to produce faith. And see that faith, there's an expectation in that that something's about to really happen. And then my wife and I are going to anoint you with oil. And as we pray for you, I believe God is really going to impart to you very powerfully. And then after that, we have water immersion available for those that want to participate. And every time we've done this, we do this twice a year, we've always gone as a corporate body deeper into the glory and God has set people free. He's done a deep work in people. And how many knows that there's always this, this realm of going from glory to glory? We never need to get stagnant and get settled into some place. We always need to be going deeper. And so that's what these times, I, I call it a time of fasting and then a deep consecration. But that's what this is for, is to break through where we're at to another level and to get beyond some things. But in that, this goes along with the sermon, so I don't want to belabor this point, but we've got to sever every tie from our past. People try to hang on to old things, old habits, old patterns, old relationships, whatever it is, and it will destroy them. It's like trying to carry a bunch of luggage that they're not supposed to be carrying into their future. You've got to sever every tie. And then also, before I dive into this sermon tonight, I just want to recap on this. Well, I've preached so much on this, I can't belabor it. But the five things that Isaiah 58, Joel 2, Second Chronicles 7:14, if we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will fast, if we will give, and if we will deeply consecrate our lives unto God, the Lord says, I will answer, I will move. And I love Isaiah 58. It says, this is the fast that I've chosen. Now, if you do it my way, he says, you'll call to me and I will answer. He says, you'll cry out to me and I'll say, here I am. How many want to answer prayers and the nearness of the Lord. You see, so when we do it God's way, and I encourage people at this time, as we move into this tabernacle season, to sow into it. That's what the giving aspect, to sow into, to sow into the glory, sow into revival. Okay, let me say that again. Just sow into the glory. to sow into revival. That's what we're sowing into, okay? So those five things. I thought it was interesting. Now I'm going to dive into this sermon. And I hope you all really get a lot out of this tonight because this was a really interesting sermon God gave me. In the natural... Whenever somebody goes in now to take a drug test, you know, years ago, and they may still do this in some places, but years ago, it was basically just, you know, urinating in a cup. But they found that that can only go back like a week or two, maybe a month at the most. But if they can get some hair, the hair goes back about three months. I looked it up. Isn't it interesting, because I'm going somewhere with this tonight, if you'll follow me. Isn't it interesting that something that you put in your body goes into your bloodstream and then it goes into your hair and it can go back even three months of what's showing up in your hair? And so as I talk about this tonight, I want you to see some things I found really interesting. I think it'll help you. All right. The Bible talked about in Timothy, Paul said, to become a vessel of honor. So he gave the illustration that every one of us in our home have vessels of honor, like the fine china, that we break out on special occasions. But also, all of us have the plastic and the wood or whatever, stuff that we use every day, that it's not special. And so Paul used the example of a vessel of honor, and he said that if we will purify ourselves, if we will sanctify our lives unto God, that we would be like a vessel of honor for the Lord's use. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to be purified where God could be consider me in his household a vessel of honor. And so that's really what this deep consecration has to do with. Now, Peter said this about us, and this would have really meant something to him because Peter was not of the priestly family. See, Peter, every year, multiple times a year, he would go to the temple. And when he went to the temple to bring his offering, growing up with his parents, he saw the sons of Aaron that would be ministering before the Lord that would offer up the offerings, and they lived there pretty much around that area. They they were able to go inside the the temple and the holy place and burn incense and and be near God and to somebody like Peter they would have seen that that priestly office as something that was awesome and I'm sure that he thought to himself many times as he was growing up man I wish that I could go in and be near God like that well after Jesus's ministry and his death on the cross and his resurrection Peter gets this revelation now We are no longer living under the old covenant where only the sons of Aaron are able to minister before the Lord. Now, in Christ, we are all made priests. And this meant something to him because he saw it, he understood it. And he realized, now I and all these other believers, we are washed in the blood of Jesus We are clothed in the righteousness. We have these priestly garments of righteousness and the power of God and the glory of God that we're able to go into the most holy place and that we're all priests unto God, and this really meant something to him. See, I think that it's lost many times when you preach this in the American church because they didn't live back then and see the transition. But this is an awesome thing, that we're able to come into the presence of God, that God himself would consider his people, that all of us are priests. And so Peter said that you're a royal priesthood. And so let me just read this. It's in the notes. But before any priest could take up his calling, he had to go through a solemn ritual which lasted seven days. Now, I'm going somewhere with this, but I want you to realize something. Why did it last seven days? Why didn't God just consecrate the sons of Aaron on one day? Why did they have to linger? And every day, they would eat of the offering. these instructions given by God began with this statement in Exodus 29 verse 1 and this is what you shall do to hallow them for ministering to me as priest so before the sons of Aaron could go in to God's glory there had to be a process where they were deeply sanctified unto God you have to understand something when we accept the Lord as our savior we are forgiven for our sins there's no doubt about it okay we're forgiven But there's a difference between being forgiven, like you're pardoned, and then also being deeply consecrated unto God. They're two different things. And a lot of people don't know that. But how many of you guys know that you are more sanctified unto God today than maybe you were 10 years ago? God has done something in your life to deeply purify you from some things. So it's not something that's a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's something that's an ongoing process so see Aaron and his sons had to stay seven days the Lord ordained specific ceremonies and sacrifices which required these seven days to be complete in order to consecrate them this ceremony involved offering of a bullock and two rams together with unleavened bread look at this there was bloodshed And there was unleavened bread and a drink offering. It's a picture and type of what we have today in communion. Are y'all catching that? The blood was shed. There was unleavened bread. There was a drink offering of the wine. There was a picture and type of the communion table. Everything that was going on at that time was foreshadowing what we have today, the reality and the substance of what we have in Christ. There is a specific mention of the anointing of Aaron with oil and the fact that each of the priests participated in the laying out of hands of the sacrifice in order to show his identity with it. But each one of them had to be anointed with oil. There was something very powerful about this. And even though we literally anoint with oil, it's deeper than just the physical oil because it has to do with the Holy Spirit empowering us. See, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the baptism in the Holy Ghost. There is an anointing. And then it says that each priest partook of a portion of the sacrifice in a ceremonial feast. He ate the consecrated meal. So if you follow me tonight, I find this very interesting, and I think that it's really going to speak to you, that God had them dwell for a period of time in his glory. And they were eating something that was very holy unto God. So I wonder, I just want you to speculate with me tonight. But I wonder, because many people in River of Life, after I've taught on communion, began to take communion daily. And I know that you take it with me at least weekly here together. But I wonder, as we come together and we dwell in the glory... And we're continually eating of the communion table. It's something very holy. It's something that God has really gotten in on that. And as we partake of that, think about it for a moment, that goes into your bloodstream. It goes into your body. It begins to make up going into your organs, into your cells. Are you following me? Just like in the natural, they have to take drug tests out of hair Because see people don't realize what they're doing but all this stuff with the drugs and the alcohol and tobacco and all this garbage is filth But what they're doing is is they're putting filth in their body. It's going into their bloodstream It's going into them and it's defiling them And then it goes into their hair and it's something that's literally making up their body. It's a defilement So flip it on the other side. I wonder what's happening to us as believers That continually over and over and over, we're partaking of things like the communion table. And when you're anointed with oil, that oil goes down into, it soaks into your skin. I wonder, I just, it makes me as I look at this, I'm wondering how deep the consecration is going on in our bodies. This is the, our bodies are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. I wonder how much that's affecting us over time. The priests were carefully washed with water, which spoke of a personal cleansing. Just like tonight as we immerse in water, it's a powerful thing. So there were three things that consecrated priests into God. The blood, the anointing with oil, and the washing of water. And God got in on that. You have to understand, when we take communion together, I happen to have some grape juice here in this cup because we're going to take communion But all it is, is a cracker and juice. But when we set it apart unto God as holy, as communion, God gets in on it, and it's no longer just that. It is something very powerful. You know, we use anointing oil. It's just oil. It's just olive oil. But again, when you set it apart unto God for holy use, it's like God gets in on that. There's an anointing. And when we anoint and pray for people is very powerful i can't help but think of james chapter five that says if the elders anoint with oil their prayer faith will bring healing to the sick and i remember as i read the book of mark that jesus sent people out before him to pray and it says in mark that they took anointing oil with them and they anointed and prayed for the sick and they were healed see this is something that's always been understood among god's people those three things And, you know, I have heard testimony after testimony down through the years of people that have been deeply touched at the communion table and have literally physically been healed. I've heard so many stories of people that sicknesses disappeared, mental sicknesses, mental illnesses disappeared, different things left them, they were delivered of things because of the power of what it represents. It's not about juice or a cracker. It's about what it represents. And it represents obviously what Jesus did on the cross for us. I have seen many times when we've anointed people with oil and prayed over them that God mightily touched them. They've been healed physically. They've been delivered of things. It's been very powerful in the same with the waters of immersion. We do this a couple times a year. And because people in river of life are just so hungry to go deeper in God We say, hey, you know, if you want to get water immersed, come on out. Everybody shows up. And as we're water immersing people, let me tell you, God gets in the water. There's a glory, there's a presence of God so deep in that water that we've immersed people, and there's times that they had a hard time getting back up. We had to help them back up. But story after story of, Pastor, I feel so different. Something was delivered, something was healed. And it's interesting how how you see this literally all through the scriptures. And I think about water immersion, you talk about something that's all through the word of God, but think about the stories. Why is it that God chose to heal Naaman the leper through water immersion? Why is it that the angel in Bethesda, or Bethsaida, I can't remember, anyway, would stir the waters of the pool there and people got in it and were healed even in genesis it says in the beginning when god created heavens and the earth the spirit of god was brooding on the waters he's moving on the waters isn't that something there's something about it it's powerful i tell you what i suspect god's doing i believe that the lord is just simply purifying us as priests unto god that we can go deeper in his presence than we've ever been and i'll tell you what he's doing that the coming of the Lord is near and he's purifying us for the marriage supper of the Lamb. To meet him in the air, I believe that. So anyway, when a priest was to be consecrated, first of all, there had to be the spiritual cleansing and separation. So washing the whole body was the first act. Later, when carrying out this task, the priest would frequently wash their hands and feet at the laver. I know you guys are familiar with this. But I suspect after tonight, as, as I usually hear it, people are going to tell me, Pastor, I feel so different. God's done a deep work in me. And I suspect that his glory will continue to increase in River of Life. Then the anointing with oil. After this, the priest would have to dress in their distinctive garments. And I keep a picture up over there for people that are unfamiliar with the priesthood, Okay but the white garments of righteousness, the blue garment of the power of the Holy Spirit and the golden ephod of God's glory. But as they had these priestly garments on, which you as true believers, you are clothed with righteousness. The Bible says so. And if you'll yield to the Holy Spirit, you can also be clothed with the power of God and the glory of God can saturate your life as well. But God wants us to carry these garments of righteousness, his power and his glorious presence. But it says that they were anointed with oil. And it was olive oil that blended with cassia, calamus, cinnamon and myrrh. And then finally, at the very heart of the initiation, was the sin offering. The men who would represent the people before God must first of all have their own sins atoned for. Every day for seven days they offered a young bull. And as with the sin offering, it had to be killed and its blood applied to the four horns of the altar before being poured out and its uh, parts of its body burned. The ram was then offered in an act of dedication. This was a burnt offering. But see, the priest would eat of it. And the Bible talks about this. I encourage you to look this up. It talks about it in the book of Hebrews. How there were those that ate of the altar, the bronze altar, but it says now in the new covenant that we have a right to an altar that they don't have a right to anymore. See, it's fulfilled in Christ. But I find it interesting that down through this, you can see that there's a pattern, that there was something about this. When the priest ate of the offering that was there, it says in Leviticus, that they became so holy that whatever that offering touched became holy. There was some kind of a deep consecration happening in them. And again, as I mentioned earlier, why did it have to be day after day after day after day? There was something of a process that was going on in them. Is this making sense tonight? Over a period of time, and in the Bible many times, Seven days is prophetic to seven years and you can see that in the book of Daniel and I believe personally That the priest being there at the tabernacle for seven days in the glory Is a picture and type of us one day at the marriage supper of the lamb for seven years I believe there's a parallel with that But the blood of the offering Moses took that blood He had to apply it to the bronze altar. But he went up to Aaron and his sons and he took some of that blood and he put it on their right lobe of their ear. And he was applying the blood to that area, I believe speaks of your thought life. That God wants our minds to be renewed and pure. He took some of the blood and he put it on the right thumb of the priest. I believe that speaks of the blood consecrating the works of our hands because Aaron and his sons had to handle the holy things of God. And let me just tell you, I know you know this, but you better be careful how you handle the holy things of God. And then Moses took some of the blood and he put it on the right big toe, on their right foot, he applied the blood. I believe that speaks of the blood being applied to their daily walk they were going to be walking on holy ground they were going to be doing holy work and the blood needed to be applied to them this was a picture and a type you understand a foreshadowing of the fact that we're priest unto God today if the blood of animals consecrated how much more so does the blood of Christ see now we should be understanding that we live in a dispensation where all this is fulfilled and God is calling us to truly be priest unto him and to be deeply consecrated unto him so he can really use us. But the church many times people have allowed themselves to be so defiled by this world. Their garments are soiled, the blood has not been applied like it should, and they're not going into the deep place of God's glory because they're so polluted but we can come out from among them and be made consecrated unto him. In Exodus 29, verse 20, it says, then you shall kill the ram, take some of its blood, put it on the tip of the right ear, etc., etc." cetera, what I mentioned. So as I was thinking about this, it made me think about a lot of, uh, what is it many times when you read, for example, the Old Testament, you see that God gave them like a kosher diet, and then on top of that, they would go to the temple and they literally would eat of the sacrifice. So when they brought a peace offering, they were eating of it. There was something there where God was saying, you're to be a holy people unto me, set apart. Now that we're on the other side of this, we obviously don't have to eat like a kosher diet. I'm not saying that. But there are certain things that we need to be aware of that can defile us. Now, you hear what I'm saying? Did you know in Acts chapter 15, the Bible says that we as believers are to abstain from sexual immorality. We're to be abstaining from these pagan demon gods that are worshipped in pagan temples. But it also says that you're not to eat blood in the New Testament. Why? Because it defiles people. I believe, and I always, uh, this goes way back, I believe strongly that there's things that even, even though we're Christians, there's things that can have a defiling effect on people. We go through the week. Why is it, let me ask some questions here. Why is it the Bible says that all food is permitted, but it says, but it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer? Why does the Bible even say that? Why don't we just simply just eat Why do we need to pray over our food? Why does it even need to be consecrated? Has anybody ever thought about this? Paul came out of a culture that understood some things that many times the church doesn't understand today. There are certain things that can defile you. Personally, for me, I always pray over my food. And let me tell you, Jesus said to not have vain, repetitious prayers. How many people pray over things and they just say something they don't even mean? There's no power in that. In fact, the Bible says not to do that. But when I pray over my food, I really mean it. And I'm asking God, Lord, the Bible says you will consecrate this by the word of God in prayer, that it is blessed, it is consecrated to nourish my body. But I'm going to tell you, you can go places. You can go to other countries. And you can go to certain restaurants here where maybe things like Buddhism and Hinduism, etc., is really strong. And I, I remember going, I'll give you an example. I remember going to a Chinese restaurant. And this is part of the culture. And the very first food that they prepare is for their idol. And I saw it there because I knew the culture and I saw it, that they had set a plate of food before their idol there. You know, it's food you understand it's food sacrificed to idols this is an old thing it's not anything new and so when i went in there i'm like well the bible says all foods consecrated by the word of god prayer i mean this may be defiled before i get a hold of it but you know when i made my plate i just pray over it lord i thank you this is consecrated let it just be purified it's going to be a blessed to nourish my body and it is but i pray over my food So what I'm saying is there are certain things that you can be around and participate in that can have a defiling effect, but if we'll be aware of it. Why is it that the priest, even though they had been so deeply consecrated unto God, every time for the rest of their life that they went into the holy place and they burned the incense and they drew near to God, every time they had to wash their hands and feet at the laver because God knew that they would get soiled. I believe with all my heart, because I sense it all the time as a pastor, that people go through this week and they, they, they have to go to work. They have to be around all kinds of junk. They have to be around all kinds of junk out in their neighborhood. They come into church and they picked up all the soil of the world. And you need to take a moment to ask God just to wash you fresh, cleanse you. And then I started looking through the word of God. And I started realizing the Nazarite vow. How many have ever read about the Nazarite vow? It's really interesting. So in in the Old Testament, there was a vow. And in the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 18, the apostle Paul took a Nazarite vow. And at the end of the vow, he did what you're supposed to do. And he shaved his head. so the Nazarite vow was like a fast you couldn't partake of anything that had to do with the grape so anytime whether it be a grape grape juice a raisin anything that had to do with the grape you you had to fast that and the bible said that they also had to stay away from dead bodies so staying away from cemeteries or if somebody was dying to kind of separate yourself you couldn't be around the dead and also during their vow they had to grow their hair out and there were certain people that were Nazarites from birth Samson was one of them John the Baptist and Samuel it was interesting to me that that Samson took being consecrated unto God lightly and it cost him everything See, Samson was to be a Nazarite from birth. What that meant was he was to be deeply consecrated unto God, to be God's vessel that he was going to use. But Samson didn't care anything about being holy. Y'all are quiet tonight. All Samson cared about was his own lust. And so Samson broke all three of those vows. No doubt when he went to party with the Philistines, he drank of The wine the 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 grape so he broke that part of the vow then we know that he touched dead bodies and broke that vow or that part of the vow and then finally when delilah shaved his head that was it and he lost everything he had with god he ends up blind in total bondage to the enemy and he ends up dying in the end god had called him to be set apart as a holy vessel But he, his body was supposed to be holy. He defiled his body, so he ended up being destroyed. If you mess with the holy things of God, God will bring judgment. Samuel was faithful to the Nazarite vow. John the Baptist was faithful. Then I started thinking about John the Baptist. Jesus said about John that he was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets isn't that something that's quite a compliment from Jesus and John the Baptist lived as a Nazarite no doubt because he was a Nazarite he grew out his hair he stayed away from anything to do with the fruit of the vine He, he went out in the wilderness he stayed away from dead bodies but John the Baptist lived that consecrated life unto God all he ate was locusts and wild honey it was like he was such a pure vessel and because of that, God used him so mightily. Literally, the entire nation of Israel was affected by his ministry. And he was used to water immerse the Lord himself and pass everything to him. And he said, now you must increase, I must decrease. But he was the one that shifted things from the old covenant and made a, helped make a way for the new covenant to come in. Man, what an awesome privilege. But yet, he was a man that lived a fasted life. let me tell you something me me and derek prince agree on a lot of things but this is definitely something we agree on i believe that also gluttony if we're not careful is something that's kind of a socially acceptable sin in the body of christ it gets real quiet when you preach like this and gluttony will cause people to be hindered in their intimacy with god i really believe that but if we will live a fasted lifestyle we will draw near to the lord But isn't it interesting, as I'm going to start closing this out, isn't it interesting that the Nazarite vow, at the end of the vow, you shaved your hair. Think about what I said when I opened this sermon. How do they test for drugs? They cut off hair to go back several months. I wonder when somebody is set apart unto God for a long period of time. See, what they would do is at the end of the vow, they would shave their head and they would bring that hair, the priest would do it, they would take the hair and they would put it on the bronze altar and it would be burned with the offering. It was an offering unto God. Isn't that something? I wonder, just thinking about this tonight, so just think about with me for a moment, just kind of speculate with me. I wonder as somebody lived that Nazarite vow, they were deeply consecrated unto God. I wonder what was going into their body and into their hair and why would god want that hair offered up like that is this making sense that's a little different but there's something to what i'm saying and it's also interesting about the beautiful captive in deuteronomy 21 12 if israel went to war and they conquered a group of people and some of the men that there were some of the women there that they didn't, you know, they killed the men, but the many times the women and children would live. If some of the women were beautiful and some of the, uh, the men were interested in them. The Lord said that you could take them as a wife. Of course, the understanding was that they would turn from all their pagan gods and they would be obedient to the Bible. Okay. And they would follow the law. That's what, uh, during this time. But isn't it interesting, hear what I'm saying. The Lord told the man, but here's what you are to do. You must take her and you must shave her head completely and trim her nails. Why in the world did God say that? I'll tell you why. He's saying that you gotta shave off all of her past, where she was worshiping all these old demon gods. What was it? That she I guarantee you these people understand. They had their own pagan feasts. They went to the temple, they offered pagan offerings, they ate of that altar, it went into their bloodstream. God was saying, I want all of that shaved off. Now they're going to be holy unto me. And I'll tell you something. Jesus was very serious about this. I I just shake my head sometimes. I I look at some things in the body of Christ. I I don't understand it, guys. And I know some of you don't either. I don't understand some of this stuff. I don't understand the substances. I don't understand the people being comfortable with witchcraft. I mean, seriously. But socially acceptable stuff, abortions accepted in church. God will never accept murder. All kinds of garbage. You know, sexual perversions. People sitting in church pews that aren't even married having sex. No fear of God. But I'll tell you what it is. Um, If people really, I believe that we're living in a time more than any other time in American history. We're living in a time today in America when there's more people that go to churches and it's a social thing It's something to do with their kids, good programs, but they're not born again. We're seeing more of that today than we ever have in our nation's history, ever. And that's where a lot of this comes in. They don't know the Lord, they don't have the Spirit of God in them to convict them. And so they have no problem going out clubbing and partying on the weekends than going to church. They have no problem, whether it be, you know, the tats and piercings and and drinking and all this sinful partying and sleeping around. But if they're not born again, they're not going to be in heaven when they die. They can go to church every week. But Jesus said this. He said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It would be better that you go to heaven with one eye than hell with two. Now, you can sin with one eye. (laughs) So what Jesus was saying there, he was saying, you better go to great lengths to cut the garbage out of your life. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's He's saying, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. It's better to go to heaven with one hand than hell with two. Jesus is trying to say to people, You better take this seriously and whatever you got to do to get the sin out of your life, you better do it because it would be better that you go to those great extremes and end up in heaven than end up in hell. Some people can't handle having a computer. Some people can't handle having a TV. Certain people just can't handle certain things. You better cut it out. You hear what I'm saying? Do whatever you got to do. But the beautiful captive god was expecting that all their past was going to be shaved off and they were going to come into something new what does the bible say it says when you come into christ old things will pass away and behold all things will become new we're a literal new creation the way it's supposed to be is that people are born again where the holy spirit comes to live in you and once that happens you'll never be the same because the holy spirit will convict you of sin he will begin to draw you into the things of god and I also found it interesting about metzora, which is a hebrew word for leprosy this type of leprosy in leviticus would seem like it was not the natural leprosy that we know, but it was like a spiritual disease that would come on people that were in sin. And you saw that, for example, with Moses' sister Miriam when she began to speak against God's anointed and she got leprosy. But it was a sin thing. But I found it interesting that when somebody got this metzora disease, they had to be excommunicated outside the camp where they were isolated for a time. They were lonely. They were separated from their family. They obviously couldn't go anywhere near the temple. In that place, they had time to do a lot of soul searching. And so they would realize the areas in their life that were not right with God, probably why this came on them in the first place, so they would begin to really repent. And the Bible says that once they repented and they were healed, that then they could show themselves to the priest. Okay, But I found it interesting that when they went to the priest, that the priest, listen to what I'm saying, it's in the Bible, would shave every bit of hair off their body, including their eyebrows. (laughs) God wanted every trace of that past sin removed. And they would have to go through this elaborate ritual, man. The blood was applied. They were anointed. The priest would put oil on their hand, anoint their head. They went through a process of being really deeply consecrated. But I found it interesting that he would shave every bit of hair off them. (laughs) This is a weird sermon tonight, isn't it? You'll be preaching and get your eyebrows shaved. But anyway... God, God is saying, I believe, though, that there's something, that, you know, back then, I don't think that they would have really thought about that what you eat and you partake of gets into your bloodstream, into your cells, and it grows out into your hair. But see, God knew that, and God was saying, once you come to me to be deeply consecrated like this, I want all that shaved off, and I want you to come in new and fresh. I'm going to purify you. So again, with all of this in mind, think about this again with me. I wonder, as we take communion daily, over a period of time or weekly, however often people do, but I wonder over time, as that goes down into our stomachs, into our bloodstream, goes into our organs, I wonder how deep of a consecration God is doing in us over a period of time. It's a process. In Exodus 29, 43, God told Israel, he said, I will meet you there, the sons of Israel at the tabernacle. And listen what he said, but he said, I will consecrate that tabernacle with my glory. So there is an element there where we we do what we need to do to be consecrated. We consecrate ourselves unto God, but there is an element there where God has to finish the process by his glory. Because we can only do what we can do. There is an element to where God has to finish it. And I believe that's why they had to stay at the tabernacle. See, some scholars have said, well, Moses did this ritual every day for seven days. He literally applied the blood on their ear, thumb, and toe every day for seven days. Maybe he did. But we know that they ate of those offerings all seven. So think about it for a moment. The priest of the Old Testament, everything that they, pretty much everything they ate came from these offerings. It was brought as offerings to them, and this was their food source. understand the first fruits not necessarily all of it was necessarily cooked there at the temple and eaten there but a lot of it was what i'm trying to get at is is that they had become so consecrated they were eating something that was holy on a regular basis and it's like god sanctified them throughout their spirit soul and body they were deeply purified and if that was available under the law of moses how much more so is that available now in christ when we have the fullness we have a better covenant and i love hebrews ten nineteen. it says therefore brethren since we have now understand this is new new covenant right here since we have confidence to enter the holy of holies by the blood of jesus by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart full of assurance of faith. Have our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, that's the blood, and our bodies washed with pure water. So I believe tonight as we take communion, as we anoint with oil, and as water immersion's available, and I encourage people to get in on it, i believe that god is doing something very deep in all of us since i've been doing this a couple times a year i've seen how god has given people breakthroughs after breakthroughs purification and and they've been going deeper in their prayer life deeper in the presence of god my concern is is why is it that the communion table is neglected in many places i knew a guy that he's a pastor and he really loved the lord but he's, he felt like his people weren't ready. But in my, my thought is that the people, as you take communion, it will help them get ready. It will help purify them. But, man, you know, we're, tonight this is going to be very powerful. So I want to go ahead, and we're going to shut down recordings, and I want us to get ready to take communion, but just stay seated. So how many of you guys understand where this was coming from tonight? There is a deep sanctification under God. Kind of a different sermon. But I've thought about that. I've I've sat around and thought about, you know, we take communion so frequently here in River of Life. You know, the saying is, You are what you eat. Well, that's going into our cells and into our bodies. And I think about, you know, people anoint themselves at home, but you get anointed with oil, that soaks into your skin, into your bloodstream. I just wonder how deep this sanctification is many times people can't get near God and there's a block there because they live a defiled life did y'all hear what I said there's a block there because they live a defiled life that's their choice and so they're hindered from the presence of God like everybody else but if they will get deeply consecrated and really repent and do right and before we take communion these are the last two scriptures because I wonder sometimes about people that that live the way they do. And I think there's two things. I think one is that they really don't love the Lord with all their heart. I think they just love themselves. Did you all hear what I said? I think a lot of times Jesus said, If you really love me, you'll obey my commandments. So I think number one, it's a love issue. Because I don't want to do things that's going to hinder my relationship with the Lord. And then number two, they have no fear of God. Jesus said, don't fear man. He said, fear the one who can throw you into hell. (laughs) There's a healthy fear of God. As we take communion tonight, I believe God's going to do something really powerful. All right, so you get back there with the recordings off.